It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. And we are the Lewis family, ready to answer your questions tonight. This is Linda Lewis, and thank you for joining us on Money Matters on News Radio 680 WPTF. And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Doug, there was an interesting uh, case about a situation where um, a gentleman was separating from his employer and elected a lump sum or an in-kind distribution of all his employer stock from his qualified plan. Well, let's get some of the facts out on the table. Uh, Well, let's see. He was an employee. He was not an owner. And the um, stock that was was given to him was in his retirement plan. Right. And we'll assume, I think from the facts that we have, he was about 54 years old because there were a couple of questions about his taxes and what to do. And he and this stock, the basis on the stock is uh, two hundred thousand, but the fair market value of the stock is is five hundred thousand, a half half a million. All right. So here's the story: He's fifty four years old. He's retiring. Inside his four hundred one k, there's a bunch of company stock. He says, "I want to take the stock and roll it out into my IRA. I don't want to sell it. I just want to take the stock." It's called an in-kind distribution. And now we have the question of the basis of the stock and the value of the stock. Well, the value of the stock at the time he does it is a half million, as you said, Linda. The basis is $200,000. And so the question, and what he does with this stock, what does he do, Deborah? He puts it into... An IRA. He wants to... No. No. He wants to put it into a brokerage account. His personal brokerage account. And in doing so, the question is, what's the tax ramification? Well, it's sort of interesting. First of all, uh, one possible choice might be no taxes until he sells the stock, right? Okay. That's true. That's false. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That is not true. If he doesn't take it out, he wouldn't pay taxes, right? Wrong. That's what you might think, but that is not correct. That is not true. Just the fact that he took the stock does not mean that he doesn't pay tax. Now, another possibility would be, what about paying, what kind of tax does he pay? Just because he got the stock, what kind of tax does he pay? Well, here I'm fairly certain he's going to have to pay ordinary income tax. You're exactly right, Deborah. He's going to have to pay ordinary income tax, meaning it's the highest tax bracket, unless for some reason... His retirement plan specifies that uh, after attaining maybe age 55, uh, 
That's something. usually when the plan will say you can uh, separate from service. Yeah, yeah. But in this case here, we feel he's 54 years old, which means that he will pay ordinary income tax, but not on the whole half million. Okay. On the 200000 basis, but he's going to also pay a 10% penalty tax in addition to that. That's because he's below 59 and a half. That's right, right Linda. He hasn't sold the stock, but he just took possession of the stock. But it is considered a distribution, a taxable distribution, but not the value of the stock, taxable on the value of the basis, and then this 10% penalty. So that's the first possible scenario. Well, let's let's say that he waits, right, Deborah? And how much time is he going to wait? Well, well, go ahead. Well, I was thinking... If he happens to wait until he's 60 years old, then he's over 59 and a half. And the question now comes, well, what if he waits till he's 60 years old to sell the stock? He already took the stock, but he hasn't sold it. And it grows to be $700,000. Now the question is, what's the tax when he sells it? And... There are a couple of choices. You could say, well, he pays $200,000 on long-term capital gain. Uh, that's incorrect. You could say he pays $700,000 in capital gain. That's incorrect. The real answer is that he will only pay capital gains on $500,000. You see, the extra 200000 as it grew from the 500000 value until 700000 that extra 200000 along with the original 300000 that he never paid tax on, all of that will qualify for long-term capital gain. And because he's now 60 years old, there's no 10% penalty. This is very attractive because the taxes will be far less. Of course, the question he always has to answer is, is it worthwhile waiting to avoid more tax or playing the market, letting it grow and going for the lower tax? Well, I can think of two clients who in the last um, year, year and a half, where we've had to answer this question and go through the analysis. And it's definitely a big part of that. Should I retire now? Should I take the um, uh, the option of early retirement? Should I roll over everything? And these are all parts of comprehensive financial planning. This is very real. They are. And not only so, they are very important about do I play the stock market or do I play the tax market? Do I let the tax tail wag the dog? There are complications and, and implications on both sides. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to. DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Let's take a call. Margaret, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? I was asking the question. We um, are interested in finding out if... Uh, you can be the manager of your trust and then uh, direct the proceeds of it um, to, to go to uh, your children uh, who uh, uh, might need uh, assistance. Tell me a little bit about your situation, Margaret. How old are you? Well, I'm. Uh, we're at a perfect age. <laughs> we're both. Retired. Okay. Yay. You're, are, are you you're in your sixties? Uh well beyond that. You're in your seventies. Yes. 
Okay, you're in your 70s, and that's important to understand the age because of the 664 trust. Uh, all right. The second thing I need to know is uh, what are your income sources right now, the total dollars that you have on regular income? About 191000 All right. And does that... Last year. Yes. Now, does that meet all of your living expense needs? Yes. Okay. So your expenses are less than 191000 Yes. Okay. Very good. Now, let's take a look at what might be suitable for the 664 Trust. First of all, what? how much do you have in regular, in non-retirement investments? That would be stocks, bonds, mutual funds. All, CDs, etc. Uh, CDs, well, all, everything that's not in a retirement account. Well, everything's retirement. Okay, so you have no investments that are not in retirement plans. Well, we do have stocks and bonds. Right. About how much is that? Uh, Two and a half million. All right, about two and a half million, and that's that's in non-retirement. That's not in IRAs or 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 four hundred one k's. That's not in an IRA account, right? Not in an IRA. It's a 403B. It is in a 403B? Yes. Okay. All right. It's important to understand nothing in a 403B can go into a charitable trust. Oh, you can't put it in a charitable trust. And that's 664. That's right. The 664 trust, you can only put things into it that are not part of a 403B, a 401K, an IRA, a pension, a profit sharing, and so forth. Now... Let me ask you, do you have any investments that are not in your 403B? Oh, yes. How much do you have there? Somewhere around a million and a half. All right. Now, that million and a half, if that is investment money that has a tax for capital gain on it, yes, that can go into a 664 trust, and it can go ahead and be sold inside the trust and avoid all capital gains taxes, pay no taxes, and then you are the manager of that trust. Yes, you are. It's called the trustee, and you pay yourself and your husband a lifetime income. Yes, you do, just as if it's a pension. And your question then is, if I'm paying myself and I pay no taxes on any of the sales of any of the things in this trust, can I direct some of it to my children? Yeah. And the answer to that question is yes, but no longer than 20 years after your life. We have uh, uh, children who have to uh, be, unfortunately, uh, have a conservator. Then you have a disability trust problem. Yes, indeed. That's also, you have disabled children. Yes, we well, do. This, this, this can be tied to that need very well. There are ways we can do that, and the way you do that, you have a disability trust because your children probably are qualifying to get disability income. Correct. Oh, yeah. You yeah. want to make sure that no money ends up directly in their hands. Oh, that couldn't be. I, that's right. That's, that's right. It's got to be funneled into the disability trust. Mm -hmm. So you could tie together the charitable 664 trust and insurance proceeds, and you could move everything through your channels to end up after you both, you and your husband both pass away into the disability trust. Yes, it can be worked out. If you'd like more information on how to do this, if you call my office, my office number is... Eight seven two right seven thousand. All right, that's USA seven thousand. USA seven thousand. Yes, that, ma'am. That's, in, that's Raleigh. in Raleigh. So the area code's nine one nine. Oh, Raleigh. All right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Write down your questions, Margaret, and if you'll call the office, you know we can take down some information, and we can also send you some information. All right.
Be, especially because you, you've got a special situation with the children. Yes, we do. And you'd want to make sure that everything's in order to oh, be okay. All right. now let me an ask, advantage to them. Ahead. Let me ask you a question. How yes, much ma'am. do you charge per hour? Well, I don't like to announce hourly rates <laughs> on the air because it's not proper. But we, but but, but it, when it, I call you, you will tell me. Uh, yes, yeah, ma'am. of course. The problem people get into is they try to get free advice from a salesperson instead of looking for advisors. But uh-huh. the investment advisor is one who, by law, must put your interests first and tell you what according to his knowledge and wisdom, is able to work best for you. But you have a sophisticated situation or a complicated situation that needs sophisticated advice. And I think you deserve to see a registered investment advisor, whether it be us or someone else. It doesn't matter to me, but it can be done. You can achieve your objectives if you do it right. And the 664 trust might play into the disability trust scenario. All right. Yes, well, we're definitely, uh, we have to make arrangements. Yes, ma'am. Just give us a call. And we enjoyed your, your, your call this afternoon. Well, thank you very much. I certainly appreciate your help. Okay. And, uh, yes, you'll be hearing from us. All right. Very good. Thank Take you. care, Margaret. And you too. Have a wonderful week. Thank you very much. Take Bye-bye. care now. Bye-bye. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thinking about your financial future. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. We're getting a lot of questions, especially about the investment world. And in the investment world, uh, the the questions that have been uh, coming most recently... Uh, with our younger folks and people who are getting started are, tell me more about mutual funds. Well, Doug, what exactly is a mutual fund? You know, it's hard for us to remember that many people want to start right at that point. What is a mutual fund? Now, a mutual fund is a regulated investment company which invests money on behalf of individuals. So the investors in the mutual fund are called shareholders of the mutual fund, and then professional managers use this pool of money that all the people put into the pool to buy stocks or bonds, which are going to achieve, hopefully, the objectives of the fund. Well, are there, are there uh, very many advantages to... to um Investing in Investing a mutual fund versus in individual fund? securities? Yeah. Yeah. That's the biggest question people want to know. Why should I invest in a mutual fund instead of buying individual stocks or bonds? And, and I would say there are a number of reasons. The first one is professional management. Mutual funds are managed by experienced professionals who are then going to monitor your investments on your behalf, not on their behalf. Well, that's nice. I mean, instead of me having to make the decision on what to buy and sell and what's a good investment or not, now I could hire a professional manager of those investments. That's one of the very first reasons that people invest in mutual funds. Another reason, of course, Linda, Deborah, is diversification. Your money's invested in hundreds of stocks. So instead of all your money on one stock or two stocks, your risk has been dropped dramatically because you're diversified over a whole bunch of stocks. I'd imagine that if I was beginning, this allows my $250 a month to buy a lot more instead of having the only the availability to maybe buy 
a few shares of a stock or several stocks, I could now buy shares of a mutual fund, which would own, let's say, a hundred shares of stocks. That's right, Deborah. That's that's right. It's very good for young people starting to go ahead and think that they can get into the stock market if they want to with a small amount of money and spread it over many, many stocks. So let's say that you're out there and you either have inherited some money or maybe you have because you've been working on a budget with your spouse or, or you know, uh, deciding that, hey, it's time to get serious about saving some of this money that I'm making every month. And maybe you'd like to start saving in a, in a mutual fund. So um, this is what you can do. It doesn't take that much money, does it, Deborah? That's right. It, it is one of the um, most convenient ways to participate in your own financial future. You can be starting a little nest egg that's going to grow to be a big nest egg for retirement. You can go ahead and achieve uh, certain goals right away. And that's why so many people invest in mutual funds. And you can also get financial planning because the mutual fund provides account statements, shareholder reports, tax statements that let you see the tax effect throughout the year that you don't have to figure it out on your own. Doug, isn't it true that people also, one of the other advantages is the liquidity of a mutual fund? That's right. You always are able to say, cash me out immediately, send me a check. These are liquid investments, and a lot of people like that. They do indeed. And they like the convenient services that include online access and automatic investing, and as well as you said, the withdrawal programs. Well, what about safety? Are mutual funds safe? I would say that's probably one of the most uh, frequent questions that people ask about mutual funds. Are they safe? And I, I guess there are certain aspects. You can lose money in a mutual fund. Yes, you can. Uh, you can lose money in any type of investing, and mutual funds do have different types of risk. Uh, but there are some aspects of the mutual funds which reduce risk such as the matter of diversifying and having liquid asset uh, um, access. Uh, and then they're regulated by industry standards. And mutual funds is one of the most transparent of the uh, yeah. securities that are out there. It's highly regulated. That's right. So what are some types of funds that are available? Well, there are stock funds, bond funds, real estate funds, or a mix of all the above. You can you can participate in investing in mutual funds any number of ways, and they're designed to go ahead and meet just about anybody's uh, um, desires of risk or, or or safety. Check out our website at DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Let's pause here for a caller. Mike, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Um, I might be getting some money from an accident at work, a significant amount. It's always told me that I might want annuities as opposed to like a, a fixed uh, lump sum. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Tell me a little bit about yourself, Mike. How old are you? 28. 28 years old. Are you married or single? Married. Married. Any children? Yes. How many kids? One three-year-old. One child, three years old. Are you able to work at all now? Uh, not, not the present occupation, but uh, hopefully I'll be able to do something else. All right. How about your wife? Is she working? No. Okay. How much is the size of the settlement? I don't know. I just uh, It's probably a significant amount, though. It's hard for me to answer a question without a number, though. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't would know it, what you're saying, but uh, I mean, would to, it be fifty thousand or hundred thousand? Significant amount is twenty five thousand, and to other, it's two hundred and fifty thousand. Oh, no, it, it'd probably be it, maybe closer to a million or something like that. All right, if you're going to be getting a, a settlement in the hundreds of thousands up to a million dollars, mm-hmm. then you definitely do not want to do an annuity. Okay, and let me tell you why. Think in terms of chickens and eggs, Mike. Okay. All right, chickens, your principal. Eggs are the income that comes off your principal. Okay. The positive feature of the annuity is we can find an annuity, and if you do, you need to uh, to speak to an expert because the positive feature is you will get a guaranteed fixed, a guaranteed income for the rest of your life and for your wife's life if you want. Okay. The negative is you've just disinherited your kids. There's nothing that goes to the children. Okay. In other words, you're going to trade the chicken for a stream of eggs. Right. And I don't think, I mean, for example, if we have a million-dollar portfolio, do you have any idea what your living expenses, including your disability needs, are? Uh, probably about uh, 35000 a year. I'm sorry? About 35000 a year. About 35000 a year. Well, with a million-dollar portfolio, I could probably go ahead and invest it for a client, as I do all the time, and get somewhere between 75000 and 85000 a year income. Mm-hmm. Well... The point is that would not be guaranteed, but if all we need off of that is 35000 we got a big hedge factor, and we keep the chickens. Right. In other words, whoever holds the chickens wins, and I'm very hesitant to recommend that clients go ahead and give up their chickens to let an insurance company have them and just take the eggs. I think you ought to always look at the fact of what I can do myself, uh, but it sounds to me like you definitely should not go ahead and get an annuity. Okay, and uh, does it matter, I mean, as far as, like, their side of the uh, the issue, whether they give up an annuity or lump sum? You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, it does matter from their side. Right. Do you have, who do you have negotiating on your side, an attorney? Yeah, well, I don't have one yet, but I... I haven't signed anything, but yes. All right. Again, you may want to work with a certified financial planner because what you're talking about is something called structured settlements. Right. And very often, they will offer you a bigger amount in a structured settlement than in a lump sum. And that becomes tricky trying to figure out which way does it work out best for me. Right. Yeah, listen, jot down my office number. It's 872 7,000. That's 919-872-7000. And some people remember that as just USA 7,000. Uh, it, it, it is a tricky issue because they would rather go the structured settlement route, but you, you have a trade-off in features because that structured settlement, again, denies you the access to the principal. Right. Uh, and in selecting the attorney, uh, I'd be careful also bec- okay. because you want an attorney who can negotiate from both sides, from the side of the investment portion that works best for you, in addition to, you know, uh, um, the negotiating process itself. In other words, for the dollar amount. Right. Uh, so. Very very often when, 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 when financial planners get involved like that, they go ahead and help select an attorney so the attorney is part of the team and the attorney and the planner work together to to make sure it works out best for the client. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Because the attorney rarely knows investments. Right. And the financial planner, 
I'm not talking about a stockbroker. Stockbrokers know about about investments, but they don't know about planning. Mm -hmm. Uh, The financial planner goes ahead and will know both pieces of it and how to go ahead and grind numbers for the attorney. What works best this way? Let's try the numbers this way. Let's try the numbers that way. You're 28 years old. We got to also factor in your living expense inflation over the next 60 years. Right. You got a three-year-old child. We got to figure that for college education and so forth. Right. So there are a number of variables, and the planner will be the one that can coordinate the whole thing, run the numbers, do the what-ifs, play it out a number of ways, and basically the planner should have the attorney working under him, not as an employee, but where he... You know what I'm saying? Attorneys generally don't like – attorneys work better if the planner is hired first <laughs> be, oh, okay. be, because attorneys get uh, – they get a little professional jealousy. You know, they, they're the attorney, and then you bring a planner in, and the planner knows more than the attorney does about the numbers, and, and so you get this professional jealousy. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. On the other hand, if the planner has helped you find the attorney, then the attorney always works well with the planner. <laughs> Did your accident happen recently, Mike? Oh, uh, yeah. So, so you haven't really uh, gone forward yet in, in no, securing no. an attorney? I'm just, just starting that right now. Yeah. Just got to the point where I can do that. Exactly. And, and probably one thing that you want to do is write down any questions that you have. that uh, Other questions that might have occurred exactly. to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a lot of free time on your hand right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I don't mean to treat let's speak lightly of it, Mike. Uh, but uh, Linda's got a great point. While you're, while you're going through the, the this, you know, process it's the biggest decision that you'll make in your life probably right so right. you've got a number of questions that come up and you should start to go in and write those questions down you know what about my estate what if this happens what if that happens what if my wife remarries you know all the kinds of things that, 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 that and and also about your your accident chronologically what happened and what you know you're uh, gonna I've have been, i've been keeping a diary yeah now. oh good you've been you have a journal that's yeah. great Okay, and, and, you know, if we can provide any more information, you can call us at the office here in Raleigh, mm-hmm. and that number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. I'll be happy to send you some information. Okay. And we wish you the best and hope that uh, you're feeling better. Okay, thank you, for okay, thank you for calling. One of the questions that seems to pop up quite a bit is how much is too much? In other words... Clients should be encouraged to consider the appropriate amount of assets that they want to leave their children. You know, it might be, is there a point when an inheritance reaches an amount that's too much and it could be even detrimental to the child's ambition or detrimental to the child's productivity? Uh, I know there was one particular client, a self-made man, $3 million estate. He decided that $250,000 to each of his four children was fine, and the rest of the $3 million should go to charity. And what he said was, it's more than I had when I started out, and that was his rationale. (laughs) Okay. Don't uh, he probably didn't want to spoil them, right? That's right, Linda. But you know, and 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 I I would say that many times I've had clients tell me that, especially with children who are fairly young, maybe young adults, but still they don't want too much. Now there are ways to do it with trust, also to where you can delay it, putting it in a trust and delay it, and we do that quite a bit for clients who have accumulated and they want to have uh, their children get an inheritance but in stages through the years. So working with a certified financial planner can help you with the estate design, right, Doug? That's right, Linda. Of course, as you know, as our listeners know, 
through the years, we have designed investment portfolios. We've handled all of the clients' investments and everything, but we have also handled the estate issues, which become quite important. Uh, we have had clients that have passed away, passed away, and then we deal with the second generation. So this is an important issue, but it starts with the question of how much is too much. And I would say even people with a few million dollars of assets may not uh, necessarily consider themselves wealthy. You know, our millionaire, our middle class millionaires. And as a result, they may not see the need for what they consider to be a complicated estate plan that delays the outright receipt of the inheritance. But you can do so by trusts. That is exactly right, Deborah, because a critical age is the age that the heirs will be when they do receive their inheritance. Now, I personally like to do calculations to help clients understand the size that the inheritance the children receive could be at certain ages. So let's say uh, we use a 6% growth or 7% growth, and we show them how many millions your children could receive if they reach a certain age, etc. Uh, there is uh, a very important aspect of estate planning that should be brought to the uh, to the attention of the clients and then there's always the third issue which is are there any other issues you know and sometimes this is this is um uh, maybe embarrassing or uh or you know uncomfortable for clients but they will bring up that there might be a child with a, a drug or an alcohol addiction or a mental illness and and it's important to take these issues into account it is extremely important deborah that although it's embarrassing to be discussed, nevertheless, it is crucial that it all be brought to the table to help the clients design an estate plan that's going to work out exactly the way they want for all of their children. And really, it's all about, are there any concerns about a child's ability to handle finances? And if they can answer that question and talk about their children and their children's ability to handle finances, then they've taken care of those other issues. And sometimes, uh, depending on the situation, it may be that uh, the household or the couple may need to consider a special needs trust in a special situation, right? That is a very common story that we see when we have a child of, uh, who has a disability. Disability or even we, a, a terminal illness, right? Yeah, and you know, that brings us up to the uh, the next question that should be brought to the table is should all the children be treated the same? And that's really where, you know, the, the, the you need to have a customized estate plan in this area. Yeah, if none of the above issues are present, then parents still overwhelmingly seem to want to treat their children exactly the same in an estate plan. One child is to receive assets outright or at a certain age, then they believe all children receive, should, should, should get the same terms. But that is not necessarily what's best for the children or best for the family. Oftentimes, they're really special circumstances that call for some sort of a, a departure from total equality. You know, suppose one of the kids, for example, has married a venture capitalist or a movie producer or is active in the family business. What happens if one of them has creditor issues or has declared bankruptcy or facing divorce? So you need to customize the uh, estate plan, not necessarily saying I just leave my estate to my four kids equally. 
So if you're out there listening to Money Matters with the Lewises and you have procrastinated with your estate plan, or maybe you need to revisit what you have. Maybe you've had an up, uh, an outdated will that needs updating. Call us at Lewis Financial Management in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. We'll be happy to... Um, see what your questions and issues are and maybe we can set up an appointment with you and uh, visit our website at dougandlinda.com let's take another caller doug well charles this is doug lewis certified financial planner and how can i help you this Hi, evening Mr. Lewis. Uh, how are you i'm well thank you sir uh give me a little uh, advice here uh all right if you can please sir my, my wife and i are thinking about buying a home okay we're uh, 38, I'm 38, she's 37. All no right. children, no debts. No children? No children. No children, no debts. Uh, and adjusted gross income probably of around $100,000. All right, both uh, of y'all working? Yes, sir. Oh, financial planning for dinks. <laughs> dinks is dual income, no kids. That's us. Okay. Uh, All right, and the, you've got an adjusted gross income of how much? Uh, about uh, 100000 About 100000 the two of you. Uh, 401k plans, stocks, mutual funds, and so forth, uh, insurances, disability, everything. How much do you have in the stocks? Oh. Uh, Approximately. Stocks and funds, probably 30000 uh, Well, I wanted to separate the stocks from the funds. If you oh. Uh, how much do you have in mutual funds? Do you know? Well, probably about, yeah, probably about 15000 in each. All right. 15,000 stocks, 15,000 in mutual funds. What else did you say you had? Uh, and probably about uh, 30,000 in money market, uh, in a money market account. 30,000 in money market. And CDs. Anything else? Well, we've got, uh, you know, our retirement plans, uh, money purchase plans, uh, uh, insurances and things like that uh, that, are, that are doing real well. I'm not sure exactly the, the figures that, that all of those accounts might be worth. What are your living expenses running, Charles? Uh, well, they're they're minimal, frankly. We 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 rent a home. Uh, we pay six hundred dollars a month rent. And uh, wait a minute, something doesn't make sense to me. If you're earning a hundred thousand dollars and all you've accumulated is thirty thousand dollars in money market and thirty thousand in stocks and securities, you've got you you must be high spenders, not low spenders. No, well, uh, I mean, where's the money going? <laughs> we we have not been earning that more than about uh, two to three years. All right. Uh, because I just uh, finished uh, uh, college. Oh, okay. Uh, my, I finished my doctoral program and okay. just have really begun my profession at I about, see. you know, 30, age 33, 34. Okay. All so right. that, uh, I'm a late bloomer, if you will. All right. Well, that, exp- that explains something. Okay. okay. So your living expenses are running about how much? Well, uh, $600 for rent and then uh, whatever uh, utilities and so forth are uh, I probably... Fifteen hundred dollars a month, or something like that. All right, maybe a little more. Yeah, I was uh, going to say uh, that that would be a very attractive number because that would leave you a, a large amount monthly. Well, to put into a, into an investment plan. And in fact, we do. We we end up probably putting three thousand uh, a month into uh, into various uh, into the money market, or either buying more uh, shares of a mutual fund and so Good. forth. Okay. And we had thought perhaps that we might need to buy a relatively expensive home simply to lower our tax liability. Boo. Okay. It's not a tax shelter. A home is a shelter, not a tax shelter. It's a place where you live in. 
Okay. If you want tax shelters, there are good tax shelters out there today. There are oil and gas drilling deals. The limited partnership. All of, all of those are out there. And you can and, and, and you need to work with a certified financial planner to address the tax reduction need that you're talking about. But don't confuse it with the other need. You should buy the cheapest house that you think you'll be comfortable living in. Well, you're, you're, that's, that's a point well taken. You, you don't build wealth uh, owning a half-million-dollar home and, and driving two, uh, two Lexuses or Mercedes. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You want to go ahead and look at your new status in life from a future goal, identify the financial independence year. Right, right. You want to come backwards to that? Retire. All right. Uh, All of those numbers, those are numbers that you need to work with a certified financial planner to tell you how much should be set aside monthly to reach that goal. We're we're trying to do just that. And keep the house from hindering your progress. (laughs) Okay. Good advice. And Charles, if I can send you any information, if you'd like, you can call me at the office. Okay. Our number is 872 Thank you, ma'am. Okay, and thanks for thanks calling. Thanks for your time. Thanks, right. Charles. This is Doug Lewis. How can I help you? Doug, uh, I'm 75 years old plus, retiree, of course, and I've got one mutual fund that's a, a equity fund, you know, 50-50 stocks and bonds. It's the big one out in California. And I got about uh, 100000 plus that's in the uh, Money market funds, and I got uh, a uh, NC bond fund with another outfit and all. So my question, I guess, is should I take some of that mutual fund and maybe diversify it somewhat in some of the other things that are a little bit more aggressive maybe in the, like Latin America and stuff like this? All right. Well, one thing, uh, you're saying some good qu- – you're putting out some good questions. I'm not really – comfortable with some of your answers but i like your questions because they're very they're good questions Al. they really are before i give you some answers let me get some facts about you yeah you're 75 years old you married a single married you married how old's your wife uh 74 she's 74 now the uh income that y'all have to live on where's the income coming from pension pension how much is your pension income uh approximately about twelve thousand. yeah all right where, uh, any other income? Well, Social Security. Of course. What's your Social Security? A total? Yeah. Uh, about eighteen five. About 18500 Any other income? Well, then I've Besides taken your... out the, the uh, quarterly uh, uh, dividends from the, uh, from the income fund. Right. Okay. So before investment income, you've got about 30500 coming in. Yeah. Okay. What about expenses? Well, homes paid for, no, no expenses, just... Just, no, you know, no mortgage. So you've got your regular living expenses. About how much do you think you live on monthly? Oh, probably uh, a thousand. Okay, so about twelve thousand a year, maybe yeah. fifteen thousand by the time you add some vacations or right. travel. Yeah, you got it done. All right. Okay. So the total the total asset base you're looking at for investment purposes is about two hundred twenty five thousand. Yeah, for investment purposes, right? Okay. Nothing should have everything of yours. So you're absolutely right when you say, uh, should you diversify? The answer is yes. We had Michael Hirsch, in my opinion, the nation's leading expert on mutual funds, uh, here uh, for an hour on the air, about an hour and a half. And yeah, he has three rules for investing in mutual funds. Diversify, diversify, diversify. (laughs) The other thing that that I don't like is your money market. You've got $100,000 in cash. That's also wasted. Right. All right. So the first thing you want to do is you want to develop what we call an asset allocation model. Yeah. yeah. 
And you want to back into that model by subtracting, first of all, how much cash do I need to keep in what we call an emergency fund? Sure. Now, an emergency fund is determined by your living expenses and your income. Yeah. If your income far exceeds your expenses, which it does, yeah. then you can go to the low-end spectrum yeah. of the emergency fund. Right. We usually use three to six months. Right. Well, that's what I thought about. Yeah. All right. So even if you took... If you took three months, you're only talking about $3,000. Yeah. If you took six months, you took $6,000. So I could be real wild and crazy right. and keep 10000 bucks yeah. in your money right. market fund and leave ninety left over. Righto. Okay. Got so you. we got $90,000 plus your 125000 which means we have uh, $215,000 right. for an asset allocation model. Yeah. All right, so that's where we start. Well, we start with this asset allocation model. Now, what I would do in developing this model, I would, by the way, there are three methods of asset allocation practice today by different financial planners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I will tell you the first two very quickly because I don't like them. But the first one is the single investment, safest investment method, where we're going to find the safest investment we can and put 100% in it. Yeah. I don't like that because we only know what wasn't safe after we found out it wasn't safe. Gotcha. All right. The second method is the diversification method sure. using a debt to equity ratio, putting more in high risk and less in low risk. Again, I don't like that because we don't know again until afterwards what was high risk and low risk. Got it. The third method is the one I'm going to recommend to you called the uniform unit size. Uniform what? Uniform unit size. Yeah. The way I do this in my practice, I establish what I think is a proper unit size of investment and spread the risk equally to every investment in the fund, in the pool. Yeah. So if we have a portfolio of $215,000, yeah. then I'm going to look at that and I'm going to say, I think 20000 is a safe unit size. Yeah. And every investment I use in that in, in, in that portfolio is going to be 20000 Yeah, yeah. For so example, gonna, if your wife baked a pie and she wanted to serve everyone the same amount, she would slice up that pie, right? Right on. <laughs> So I'm creating a pie. Right. I'm creating a, right. I'm creating a pie with 10 slices. Everybody gets the same amount, right? Right, right well, Everybody has the same risk that they're going to stumble on the cherry pit in that cherry pie and break a tooth. We don't know who's going to do it, but there's an equal risk. Maybe a little ice cream. Uh, maybe a little right, ice of course. cream. Right, right. Now, I don't, I'm not so sure if I like the ice cream of that Latin American fund. That may be too rich for your diet. That I'm not Boy, it's, so, it's been hot lately. Okay. But on the other hand... If I'm starting with a $20,000 unit size in my asset allocation model for you, I would not move out of the family. No, no, no. But I would go ahead and pick up five other funds in the family. In the family? Yes, Uh, in that family. I'm with you. All right. Now, in selecting the funds in that family, I would use the help of a certified financial planner because Uh, they have different betas. Yeah. Betas, the volatility, and their different suitabilities for you. Right, I'm with you. So we'd want to look closely at those different funds in uh, in those to see which ones met what we were looking for in building the portfolio. But once I had done that much and gotten that 125 right. spread over six 20s. Yeah, I got it. Then I would go and pick up the other 90,000 and build it into the portfolio. And the whole key is this matter of the asset allocation model. Yeah. Right, right. Al, if you have any further questions or any specific right. questions about... Uh, some possible sure. recommendations as to an asset allocation regarding your, your portfolio, I would jot those down. And if you'd like to call me at the office okay. here in Raleigh, the number is 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Yeah. Thank you for calling. You got it. Well, Doug, um, some people out there think that 65 is too young to retire. 
the magical age of 65 that used to signal retirement time for our parents might not hold true for the baby boomer generation. And and since, I mean, yes, the idea is appealing to call it quits, but on the other hand, sometimes it doesn't make sense to just retire. It might make more sense to delay retirement. One now, the- isn't it true? I, I think there's some statistics out there that some 76% of employees say that they will continue working past retirement age. Yeah, and for different reasons, Lynn. Uh, one reason is that they still have a job because it's pretty hard sometimes. If you're currently employed and you're still able to effectively perform your duties and the job itself is not driving you crazy, it can make sense to stay at it for a while longer. One is, possible isn't it, isn't it true, Doug, that some just want to continue working, but others are going to have to, right? That's right. And... By doing so, the longer you delay taking Social Security, the more your monthly Social Security checks are going to be. Each year that you delay your retirement, you could delay moving your Social Security check up higher and higher until you reach the maximum age of uh, 70 years old. But indeed, the fact that you've got a job very often uh, is why you should delay because if you leave your job, statistics say, and you're over 50, it's very difficult to get another job. How about when you're not financially prepared to retire? Oh, very good reason to stay working. (laughs) You're not financially ready. Uh, Chances are you may still live another 20 or more years. And if you've worked and contributed to Social Security over the years, you're going to receive monthly benefits, but those benefits are never and never were intended to meet all of your needs. You want to enjoy yourself. You you want to have finally, you want to do the things that you delayed all your working years. And so if you're not financially repaired, prepared, <laughs> repaired, <laughs> if you're not financially prepared, prepared, then I would say that's another good reason to delay your retirement. You know, as as folks are working, diligently taking care of all their responsibilities, as time goes on, some of the bills will disappear in retirement. And especially if the kids are done with their education, the mortgage is paid off, and the car payments are done. But other expenses may quickly take their place. And that would have something to do with the health care costs that will need to be an increasing consideration when you decide to retire. And that can probably be one of the biggest reasons why you may not feel financially ready to retire. Right. What about if you had few other interests? What if work was fulfilling a lot of needs? Well, I think that's the case of many people. You know, you've worked for 30 years, maybe. Your daily activities have, to a large extent, defined uh, what you do, and they've been defined by your job. Hours are filled with projects and deadlines and meetings and strategy sessions. And and so uh, when you retire, you're effectively flipping the switch. And now you're becoming individually responsible for filling your time. What do I do all day long? Now, although this new freedom may be exciting and allow you to explore areas that you never had time for before, still the hours can drag on if you don't have other interests. And so, really, it's very important uh, 
to think it through carefully. It helps to prepare before you retire rather than suddenly go from a busy 40-hour work week to an empty calendar sitting in front of a TV on the sofa. You know, it's so wonderful when people enjoy the current situation. Some people just really love their jobs. That's true. That's true. And I think that's great. It is great, Linda. There are some fortunate people just like that. They like the challenges every day. They thrive on interactions with fellow workers and the camaraderie felt toward uh, working towards a, a shared purpose. And even if the, you know, if, if the boss doesn't regularly offer recognition from a jo- for a job well done, uh, the, the coworkers do. And, of course, there's the matter of the steady paycheck. So there are reasons to delay retiring after 65. And I think it needs to be talked through thoroughly with the help of a financial planner. This is exactly what uh, we do so much. You know, and you're bringing up a good thing that I might want to circle back and just mention because we were talking about mutual funds earlier this evening. And mutual funds are a great way for someone who's accumulating to do that automatic investing. But then at the end in retirement planning, it's an easy way for when you to retire, when you decide to retire, that, oh, it's well, an easy way and an easy place where you can move your money directly from your company's retirement plan into a rollover IRA. Not only so, Deborah, very good, very good point to bring to the table. Once it has been rolled over tax free to your retire to your IRA, then you can start a systematic withdrawal from the IRA. Now you have a new paycheck coming. So instead of uh, your your job making that paycheck to you, now you can create your own paycheck for yourself. That's right. Your IRA is your new boss. And your new salary is coming from your IRA, and you set up what's called a systematic withdrawal of whatever you want. If you want $1,000 a month, if you want $2,000 a month, if you want $3,000 a month, you just set it up, and mutual funds allow you to do that. So that sounds like another positive to mutual fund investing, because in the end, when you buy a security, the reason you're doing so is you can sell it later. If you're not an expert on when to sell and what to sell, and you're selling shares of a mutual fund... That sounds like it'd be a much easier way to not be uh, straddled with the the, the responsibility of the being burden. Uh, mm-hmm. the burden of, of deciding what to sell, when to sell, and yet you're able to create an income stream through mutual funds. Exactly. I think it's great. Now, this matter of taking money from your mutual funds or from your investment portfolio after you retire can't uh, be left untouched forever there is the matter of the rmd and that is your required minimum distribution yeah let's let's refresh our listeners on that point because we talk about younger folks just starting out we talk about age 62 and 65 well, in general, there are going to be two types of retirement plans. There are going to be ones that your employer provided and ones that are the individual retirement account that you have. So if you're still working and you're over that magical RMD age of 70 and a half and your retirement assets are in your 401k or your retirement plan at work, you're not required to take it. Yeah, that is something a lot of people don't realize, that there is this RMD, required minimum distribution, which says that once you hit age 70 and a half, you are required to start taking out something or you will face a 50% penalty, which can be huge. However, that RMD is there and that penalty is there with one exception. 
And that exception is that if you are still working. So let's say you're now 70, 72, 75 years old, and you're still working, and you have a 401k. The RMD is not required to be taken. But the question comes up, what happens when I do retire? In other words, when I retire, let's say in June of a particular year, and I'm 74 years old. Okay. All right. Then what happens? And here the IRS rules are very tricky. So the question is, what's the tax law now? Well, the tax law says that you must take an RMD for the year in which you retire. Then comes the question of, well, how much is it? And is there any uh, help if I don't know what to do? And there is. There is one exception even to that. And the exception is that you can wait until April of the year following retirement. April 1st. April 1st of the year following retirement. Let's say you're 75 years old this year and you retire at last. You can wait until April 1st of next year to take to pay or to take out the RMD that you should have taken out this year. The same as if it happened to you when you turned 70 and a half and you had already retired. But that means next year you're going to have to still catch up and take out two two RMDs or the required minimum distribution payment for two years. And so you need to watch it carefully because it can be a large amount. And then you have to play the tax of which way does it take? Does it work out better? Do I take two next year? When I have no salary income, or do I take one this year where I've still got salary for half the year and one the next year? And we have some clients right now that we're analyzing that for to advise them which way does it work better for them. Now, Doug, let me ask you one more question in regard to an individual retirement account, an IRA. Let's say you have that and your 401k. At what point must you begin taking a required minimum distribution from an IRA? Then there is no exception. Then even if you're still working from the IRA, you must take your required minimum distribution by the time you reach 70 and a half. And it must be in the year you turn 70 and a half. You can go ahead and delay that piece of that one until April next year, but you have to do double on that one. But that's only on the IRA portion, not on the 401k. Visit us at DougAndLinda.com and call us this week with your questions. Schedule an appointment at Lewis Financial Management. Everyone have a great week. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.